So let's talk about foundries. We, we both get a lot of questions about what's going on with who makes these semiconductors. There's a whole long conversation around process technology and, uh, and packaging, but I want to start with why, like why we're in this mess. Let's, let's, let's unpack the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years. What would you say of, uh, of Intel's losing leadership, which depending on who you talk to, you could either argue that was 2016, 2015. Some people might say 2019 in terms of density. Um, but regardless, like when you and I first met, I'm pretty sure our first conversation maybe almost 10 years ago was about Intel and Intel Foundry and just kind of the pickle that Intel found themselves in. And a lot of this is really relative to Moore's Law, right? You hear everybody sort of talking about this. Intel is is back champion that Moore's Law is not dead and they are the ultimate stewards of Moore's Law. You've got IBM and others talking about we're, we're continuing to invest in increasing transistor capacity um, and density, and obviously foundries play a large a large role in that. But but let's just start with kind of kind of Moore's law, and I'll sort of th- throw out two things th- two things to discuss. Um, one is was there because this is where I think the slowdown really came from. H- how much weight do you put in the economic part of Moore's law? Because I've actually had debates with people about this, where how much the economics were either a part of the day one thesis around this or whether they were added that it should technically get cheaper or cost per transistor should come down. But this is a debated point. But let's just talk, let's talk first about the economics and then we'll talk about the technology. So how have you always thought about that? Is there a true economic angle of this worth analyzing or should we focus mostly on, is it even possible to increase transistor density every two years? I I think it is, it is economics. Uh, I, I think economics is a big factor of this because even if you go back before Intel, you go look at all the other foundries, global foundries, UMC, all the way down the list for the last 30 years, there's been a curve for Moore's Law, denser density improvements, and there's always been that corollary of Moore's Law, which says the costs are going to rise at a rate below the density curve, but close to it. And we've seen people fall off fall off the curve, right? And I mean, I remember reading a study, oh, this was like 15 years ago, that looked at foundries back then, right around the time that Global Foundries was, or AMD then, was falling off the curve. And and it's just like, there's a clear historical pattern is not everybody can afford to keep up, and companies fall off, and they, so far, no, no one has ever gotten back on the curve. And so I think Intel... Intel's problems are very much around a, a long series of bad decisions they've made, but those are sitting on top of a layer of very challenging economics. And yes, you know, I, that, that's going to determine what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm in the exact exact same camp. I think technology or or tech process challenges weren't the reason why Intel went from TikTok to Tick plus plus, 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 plus. It, it was really because one, the economics of investing 
what was then, right, 13 to 14 billion in a foundry, that's much more expensive now, didn't justify the number of premium the customers that they had who would pay for that innovation at scale and essentially help them flow down the the increasing um, cost curve of, of economics. And so you're right. I, I totally agree there was technology challenges, architectural issues. But but again, I think it comes back to the, the challenges of finding somebody to pay those premiums for leading edge, which, which again, right, I think is to this point, right, I, I don't know where TSMC would be, to be honest with you, without Apple. I think Apple has independently funded their leading edge development. And without having a customer like that, who for Intel was Intel. Intel was the company that that built leading edge chips, sold them to a market that was shipping 350, you know, at one point, almost 400 million PCs a year. And so by being that, right, their best customer for what was internally their foundries, it was easy for them to make that investment because they knew they were going to fill, a, fill that fab to capacity. And then Intel's challenge was keeping capacity full, which meant you've got to elongate a current node. I, I think, I mean, we can go back in time and sort of, you could pick any random Intel CEO, the last five or six of them all talked about providing some foundry. Um, none of them really committed to it, though. And so, yeah, we could have this interesting sort of counterfactual, counter history conversation is what if whoever was CEO 15 years ago had actually really built a foundry capacity and forced the organizational changes to, to happen, whether or not what that would have changed. Um, you know, we could we could have ended up in a world in which Apple turned to Intel for foundry. Right. But I think by the time Apple was getting into this, they they even even at that point, like seven, eight years ago, whenever they started getting really, really close to TSMC, uh, they, they, there wasn't really any other option. Arguably Samsung, but that, that's obviously complicated for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, it's very tough. I, I think actually where it gets more interesting is to think about what this means for Intel going forward. Because I think there, there is the sort of the, the hard case and the, the not quite so hard case, which is, you know, Intel gets the process back on track and then is faced with a bunch of really difficult economic challenges to actually make themselves and IFS competitive. And that's the best case scenario. Yeah. Because it's the harder case, which is just that they're screwed and, and there there's nothing they can do to fix this. Yeah. I, I think Sorry, you know, you're, you're, you're right. No, no, no. But you're, you're, for the, for the, for the lay person, right. Um, I, I think one of the one of the interesting you know challenges about this is how so so all right so let's just ba back up so we keep saying like everybody keeps saying Moore's law slowed down and I just can't figure out why that doesn't just mean Moore's law's dead so what's like how would you say that because like slowing down is, is death I think I mean I don't it's not following the same curve so I don't understand why we just say it's no longer. Well, so first of all, you and I have been doing this long enough that we've heard this prediction, you know, a, a million times each in the past, right? Moore's law was dead at 65 nanometer, 28 nanometer, right? It, this has always been around. Um, I, I think, yeah, technically, you're right. If the law says that, you know, Moore's law is performance improvement over time, then that part of it is broken. Right. I think when people say Moore's law is, is slowing, what they really mean is uh, improvements in transistor density are still happening. 
at some pace. It's 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 not eighteen months doubling. It's you know five year doubling or whatever the number is. And I think people are really looking at the transistor density side of that equation because those are still moving forward. But it's important to talk about it because I, I'm really starting to wonder how much how much more density we can get. Mm. Like yes. it, it clearly cannot go to inf- you know to in- infinity or one over infinity. Um. It's gonna get it, but I, I don't know when those limits are. I'm not even gonna try and guess, right? Because yeah, like I said, everyone's been wrong well, for about it for 20 years. I I think the the clear evidence is that density targets have been scaled back. I think you can directly pinpoint two of Intel's missteps to being overly ambitious in density, and you can pinpoint TSMC's continued efficiency as not being as aggressive with their density targets, right? So call it instead of two x. 1.7, 1.8x, where Intel really tried that absolute doubling. But, you know, I, I, I have this debate with lots of people, including friendlies at, at Intel. And I think I've I've looked more toward how can we now understand Moore's law as it relates to increasing efficiency in both the process and then to some degree the package, right, that we're talking about. So if we look at efficiencies increasing, which again could be partially transistor density, keeping costs roughly flat, but having maybe a better power performance curve or something, right? Then essentially you can keep a a, a progress that is an exponential jump or some percent jump every, whatever it is, two-ish, two and a half, three years, depending on who who you are. But I think my my ultimate view, right, is that yes, you have to now look at it in that holistic area. Because like I said, if you were just to look at the fundamental density increases over a time period that 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 part is 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 gone but that doesn't mean that we're still making innovations in in package or process or efficiencies that's still increasing some some benefit on a annual you know a 24ish or longer month cadence so i i agree with that i think i think it it bears a little unpacking cuz there's there's a few things going on one is just raw density performance how, how much more dense can we make the, each transistor on each die and that's that's moving forward a bigger problem i think is cost per density or cost per transistor per, trans cost per transistor per millimeter squared that's actually gone up yeah um now maybe some of that is sort of shortage induced we'll see but like clearly the, the costs are eking out and so what that leads to is we 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 used to we used to equate density improvements with performance improvements, and that is that's breaking down. And so I think what we're really talking about is how do we continue to get better performance broadly broadly defined? It could be power, it could be performance, raw performance, whatever. Right. How right. do we get performance improvements to keep moving forward, even as density, which used to drive all the performance improvement, that that part of it is slowing. And so that gets into yeah. packaging. It gets into stuff we talked about. Last episode around verticalization and customization. I think I think that's going to be a big part of it. It's custom custom silicon, uh, and and you know yep. the, the next one everyone seems to think is going to provide a lot of gains is is packaging. And yeah, and that's yeah right. And so you know it's easy to yeah. So so before we jump into to packaging, because I think that's kind of one of the more interesting interesting things here that not a lot of people fully grasp. Let's let's talk about just the, the the process 
itself, right? Because all, all of this is going to come together in in how you design things. And so how 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 much we think about the the foundry's design in transistors, you know, FinFET's going to run run its course. So you're looking for efficiencies or or new. Um, new types of technology about that, right? Intel's pushing ribbon FET. We'll see what what TSMC does. Both of them are doing kind of gate all around, which is, you know, for anybody who don't, doesn't know what that is, it's essentially a way to help dissipate power. Um, there's, there's things that are going on on how you design the underlying process itself that is looking to one, one first step in how we embrace a, a new process. So how, like how, how, when you think about just, the way that foundries now are thinking about designing from a process standpoint, like what, what, what jumps out at you there? I think, I, I think you hit the, the main ones. Like how are we really thinking about micro architecture, the tiny little nanoscale structure of each chip? How many, how many transistors can we layer on top of each other? How do we fit them all together? Those, those are, you know, an area that we've had a lot of, progress in the past before but they've they've come sort of every decade not every few years and they're yeah. painful transitions like finfet was finfet was an yep. important sort of inflection point right i think finfet is effectively what knocked global foundries out of all this um right and now we're talking about another pretty significant change with gate all around and and some of the other ones you mentioned like these are tricky to do um you know not least cuz you're you know incredibly small Right. In, impossible to imagine how small these things are. Uh, and so it's challenging, right? And it's it's challenging in yeah. large part because it's all new, right? And so and you, 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 there's no manual. You're having some kind of bug. Right. You got to go talk to the physicists how to figure it out. And, and yeah. TSMC I, is, I, I, is I am, pretty good at the, has a process for this. Yes. Um, right? I'm, and I'm, and I'm not sure anyone else to has see... comparable. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I, I'm super interested to see how how yields look as we go forward down here, right? Because if you remember, you know, a lot of anytime a big jump happened for Intel, we was like, oh, you know, our yields are whatever, 60% or they're getting better. TSMC is actually as they've done, and they haven't taken as many big, big bets as Intel. So it's been, a, it's been much more thoughtful, but, but we're, we're up against a pretty fundamental step change for TSMC. If somebody curious to see in this new era of TSMC, what, what their yields are. Um, but that, that part, like when we, when we kind of, and, and I think we're on the cusp of both TSMC and Intel kind of around the same time, making a pretty big leap in, in process wise. My hope is both of them do it well. Cause my concern is if one or the other has some hiccup in, uh, yields, that's going to put a huge strain on leading edge com compute demand for a lot of players in the market and actually be quite, quite, quite more painful than, uh, perhaps any time in history. I, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, because as you were mentioning this, in the back of my head, I was like, oh, it's not a problem. TSMC is an expert at, you know, improving yields. But yeah, I, I don't think it's safe to make that assumption. We're talking about a pretty big structural change. And yeah. so it's going to be it's going to be challenging. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I you know, and if you just, if actually just going back to FinFET, like that change really was painful for people. It hurt everybody. Um, and there was a there was a pretty ugly year or two there where where yields were down, prices were costs were way off. 
Uh, and we're probably going to have something similar this time around too. Yeah, that that's my that's my 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 worst case scenario <laughs> game theory in the back of my head that it's a real big step and both foundries hit an issue and then leading edge is is going to be tough for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's I, I think we have to assume something like that happens. I don't think it'll be quite as bad as you you think it does, but it's going to it's going to be a problem at some point. Yeah. I'm I mean, let me let me ask not. you cuz we haven't actually we we let me let me ask. I, I, we we've been talking a lot about Intel and TSMC. What what do you think Samsung's prospects and all this are? Uh, so, I think Samsung, I think Samsung is structurally challenged. I think three nanometer is hitting some issues. And and I'll say this: it, it, when when Qualcomm first announced that um, their previous generation processor was going to be on. Um, on five nanometer Samsung and some of the questions around Samsung's process were raised at that time. Uh, nobody could really justify their claims. There was just worry. Then the second generation of Qualcomm's generate, you know, Snapdragon eight came out and it was on TSMC's four nanometer process. It's, it's very similar design. The one big change was process and it is drastically better than the one on Samsung 5. And to me, that was a striking oh. indictment on Samsung's foundries and their process. And right now, everything I've heard is similar lack of confidence in three nanometers. So I, I am sort of leaning toward the opinion that there will be two foundries left standing in my in my grand you know this thesis of there may only be one foundry left standing at the end of the day but that would be tough for 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 global needs but let's just say there's two and that's increasingly going to be intel and uh and tsmc i you know i think if you'd asked me this six months ago i was a little bit more worried about samsung uh, i'm still worried but not quite as acute I actually think there will be two foundries, and it will be TSMC and Samsung. There's, there's, there's my, there's my prediction. I, I don't think Intel's it's a good, make it. it's a good, it's a good debate. Um, you know, I honestly, and the reality is, we we need as many foundries to succeed as possible. I, I think a big question will be one: Is Samsung's three nanometer quality enough? <laughs> to help with the capacity shortages that TSMC has, because like we were talking about sooner or, or, or prior to this, right, there is one customer who is absorbing roughly 50% of TSMC's three nanometer capacity over the next two years. Um, so there's not a lot of three nanometer to go around when TSMC is kind of the only show in town. So obviously, Samsung should hopefully get there before, before um, Intel. But I, I'm just worried that 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 your Qualcomm's, even your AMD, who doesn't make anything on on Samsung as of now, but people who have used them in the past have lost a lot of confidence, and it's really going to have to be a talent, like a a real quality three nanometer. Which again, we don't know, but if it is, then I I might change my opinion. But I think that's going to be the challenge. How good is that process? Because if it's not, it's a big bet for companies to make to to use them. Um, in, in light of potentially other options or sticking it for nanometer and just improving your efficiency in your design. So I, I have to think that 
there are people at Qualcomm and the other big fabulous companies who are actively doing their best with Samsung, right? I, I think, I think Sam, I, I don't know this, but I suspect that Qualcomm has a deliberate strategy. They really want to give, they want to make sure Samsung survives as a foundry. Um, at least until Intel, if and when Intel is ready, then then maybe that changes a little bit. But I think Qualcomm is very aware of not wanting to become entirely dependent on TSMC. The whole thing, yeah. Uh, and I right. suspect some of the, yeah, well, so I, I suspect some of the others are thinking about that too. Right, because I, when I was at too. Qualcomm, I mean, they've we done were, media. T- yeah, because when I, I was at Qualcomm, we were there. I was we we did sixteen nanometer on Samsung, and then for the next one, we were switching to ten nanometer at TSMC, right? And that was ten years ago, a little bit less. And so it was interesting. Like they they made that switch once already to TSMC, and then they went back to Samsung. Like they're clearly willing to keep trying. Um, and yeah. you know, I I think. If if the problem is Samsung is a year behind TSMC, that's not great, but it's manageable. If Samsung right. is two years behind TSMC, then it starts to become a problem for customers. Right. And and at that point, I you know I, I think the the bigger question than the customers is does Samsung really want to be in the foundry business? And I think that yes. that's that's very much TBD. I think there's a lot of people at Samsung who would just say let's let's stop with customers and let's just do memory. Right, and so, uh, dude, that, that I to- I totally agree. Like when you look at the economics, and especially, again, it has to come back to this economic question of can they get enough customers to justify that investment? Yeah. I, I think again, the, the main point being that if if it's a quality process, and we know that TSMC is essentially giving a good portion of their leading edge, in this case, three nanometer, to to one customer. And that customer is Apple. If you're everybody else, you're, you need an alternative. So if Samsung's three nanometer is really good, and and then they get enough critical mass to justify that spend, then yes, right? Because it's not three nanometer that seals their fate. It's whether or not they're going to invest in two and beyond. That's right. And that you know we just don't know yet. But that that's the TBD. Yeah, I you know it's I I get asked a lot like what's the difference between Samsung and TSMC, which would you choose if their process were the same? I, I, it's amazing how many people want to know this question. And there is a huge difference. Like Again, setting aside process, there's a huge difference in the level of customer support each company provides. TSMC has always provided capacity to outside customers. Samsung's foundry has didn't grow up that way. Samsung foundry grew up as, you know, we have one customer, internal. Right. And so their customer service muscle is not quite as developed as TSMC's. And that's, that's as diplomatic as I can put it. And so, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we're, so we're, we're recording this on January 12th and uh, TSMC reported last night. And I, yeah. they said something really interesting on their call. They said, we're actually a service business. We're not a manufacturing company. We're a service business. And it, it's interesting. Like the, if you think about all this, all the work they have to do to get designs to production and then all the debugging and that takes place afterwards there's some truth to that and i i think that's an important shift in mentality and i think tsmc can credibly make that claim i don't think samsung even thinks about it in those terms they're mm. that's just not that's not how they approach this so yeah. I, I i think you're right like it's it's just uh, it's unclear how long they stick around how much pain they want to go through well, for this and it's well and and then to the second give up to I, agreed 
Because it gets again, right? I mean, like I said, in the back of my brain, there was all, well, pr- prior to Pat taking over Intel, I really just gave up on everybody. And I was like, there's going to be one foundry at the end of the day, and we just need to Armageddon this game theory for 2025 and beyond. Hopefully, we we have competition because we, we need it and, and diversity, right? But but so this this then goes to where I think an interesting part of this conversation is because process is fine. We can dig into each process. We can say who's three nanometer and whose transistor designs are better. Um, you know, who's more efficient, but this is all moving increasingly to packaging and how people are now putting together chiplets, stacking dies. I mean, crazy stuff. And, and a lot of this, like, you know, I, I'm no, no quantum physicist, but when you see these block diagrams and you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna layer three nanometer here, and then this block's gonna be four nanometer, and my GPU is gonna be seven meter. I'm like, I don't even. That's amazing science to me. Like the fact that you could do that and 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 print these 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 designs on said wafers. But it's showing you how people are taking advantage one of the economics because not if you do sort of layer chiplets together, maybe we keep costs flat, right? If we were to jump everything to three nanometer, then you're absolutely right, costs go up. But if you stack these tiles and do creative uh, designs from a from a chiplet standpoint, you could see some efficiencies. You could theoretically do what's kind of interesting. Um, you know, like what's the best process for the best chip? Maybe an NPU doesn't need to be three nanometer. Maybe an NPU is great at seven nanometer, or maybe a GPU is better at ten. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. So, but but point being, the fact that that exists now, it becomes this really creative packaging problem. And so that's the other way I look at it. Let's bring this back to Samsung, right? What's Samsung's packaging strategy? Can they do advanced chiplet designs? You know, Intel's Intel's gearing up to actually just do the packaging as a plan B, not just the manufacturing. Like they're putting together, um, you know, how you'll package chiplets together as a part of the, the, the chiplet standards organization. So even if you have one made at TSMC or one made at Samsung, Intel will put them together. So they're they're trying to play a part. But, but packaging is a, such an interesting problem. And it's one that each foundry has to have an approach to. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm laughing because you're absolutely right. Packaging is an important problem, but I think for the last 20 years, like nobody, nobody talked about packaging in that way. It was just like, oh yeah, we got to do packaging. It was yeah. always sort of the add-on and packaging, pest packaging. Yeah. We'll send it to Amcor, let them deal with it. Like it was a cost and people dealt with it. It was just kind of like a burden. And now People are actually thinking about, oh, this is actually important, something important that we need to care about more. Uh, I, I think, like, I, I think there's an important shift happening in packaging, right? Which is the foundries themselves now care about it, right? right? Both right. TSMC and Intel are talking about it a lot more, uh, and and that's because in order to really get some of the gains we're talking about here from advanced packaging, it, it really needs to be done on the same machines that actually produce the chips. I mean, you have to do it at a very, very small scale, right? And the not the only way, but probably one of the best ways to do that is to do it as part of the founder, right, right inside the foundry itself. Right, right. Um, and that's interesting. Like, I'm glad we have packaging, advanced packaging as a way to drive improvement. But if you think about it, if it's going to be dependent on the foundries, then we're sort of just we're back at the the problem we were talking right. about for the rest of the show, which is oh, we're right. still dependent on TSMC. I I personally do not think packaging is enough to save Intel. Right? It's it it's something they're going to have to have. It's not like oh yeah, we'll we'll just have a packaging contract with Intel. I think they need to have their whole process locked down, 
and the packaging. And that's that's how they'll differentiate and survive. IFS will survive. Like they need they need both of those, but they can't survive on packaging alone. It won't be yeah. enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think those two things come into hand. But but the way I think about this, that's interesting for Intel is is I I I don't. So Intel's not going to design the chips that go into our watches and our AR things and our you know you know the the products of the future, right? Smartphones, whatever, right? They're not. That's not going to be an Intel branded product. But Intel could make them. Right. So Intel might make the products for those from a foundry standpoint that do them and then increasingly help with and 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 to your point about TSMC, they have also shifted their narrative toward services first, right? So being a partner foundry. So we'll see how that works. But that's part of their their vernacular that they're strategically positioning themselves as from a services standpoint. But but the point is you're absolutely right, right? They need to be the ones who can manufacture but also be the ones who help assemble those tiles. Because again, if Samsung's not going to do it and, but you're still going to have your chip made at Samsung, but you want a process or a pat, you know, a tile from TSMC or, or maybe even from global foundries, um, Intel wants to be the one that's going to help package those together as well. Obviously they want you to use, you know, their foundry as well, but there's a whole, uh, there's a gap in, I think the, the assembly, right. Of, of the packaging side that, they're hoping to play, but but I agree with you. It has to be both. It, it can't be one or the other. It has to be both because packaging is one of the ways we're going to get over some of these process challenges from moving to three to two, even oh. if we can get beyond two nanometer, right? P- packaging is going to be a part of the solution that gets there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's it, 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 they need to have... We, we're going to have better packaging. We're going to have more interesting things, um, but it's it's... Let's not forget it's not a great business, right? There's a reason that no. we've outsourced it to low low cost labor destinations for years, and some of this advanced stuff is is higher value and higher priced. Um, but again, that works into the economics. Like suddenly we have to start spending real money on packaging too. That affects right. that affects the whole you know design design planning process. Yeah. So, so I'm curious about this from your perspective, and this this goes sort of to our our discussion last time about um, verticalization, but also the companies themselves designing products in kind of this new process plus package world. Because I tend to think that you could theoretically have one of the most competitive silicon product environments with that reality but it's completely dependent upon the quality of those architects sitting at nvidia amd apple broadcom you know you name it right because they have a lot of options available to them to do something creative to design something for efficiencies or performance or whatever their goals are they've got more than just process and so i i i tend to think that I guess the way I would say it is that that the best positioned to compete are those who have the best designers. I I I, I certainly agree that designers. You can disagree. And, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, no, no. I certainly want to, I, I certainly agree that designers and uh, architects are very important. Not not least because I suspect a, a fair portion of our audience is those people, um, 
<laughs> so full credit to them. Uh, I I just I I wonder how much flexibility and yeah, how much flexibility they they have. Like they're right. What you know you you once you start designing a chip, you, there's only so many trade offs you can make, right? Your 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 design space gets fairly constrained yeah. fairly quickly, and so uh, it's it's not it's not a it's not an artistic process where you're like oh I'm going to do this I'm going to do that. Uh, it's it's a lot more like all right here's my fixed budget of transistors yeah, tra- transistor budget or whatever yeah power yeah. budget transistor budget like how am I going to squeeze them all in and for a lot of these things like decisions are made way ahead of time right because we're all dealing with ARM and RISC five cores and that those have certain dependencies that follow on from that uh, and so um, th- there's there's a finite design space here and. Uh, the best architects will add value by figuring out creative ways to make those trade-offs, um, but w- within a, a fixed window. And, and I, I think about this a lot because I was reading this this debate on Twitter over the weekend about why is Apple's M series better than Intel, and it's it's not it's not magic, right? They just traded off certain things for other th- certain things. Intel has to serve its lowest common denominator of PC OEMs. And Mac, Apple was just able to say, "All right, we're just building for Mac. Let's let's you know make trade offs in a slightly different way. That's going to give us an advantage, right?" right? And so, you know, in, in theory, Intel could design a chip that's as performative as the M1, but um, chose not to for m- mostly valid reasons. Agreed. And I mean, it's right? it, and so I, I, I sympathize, right? Because in you're right, Intel and others have to make decisions that appeal to the widest customer audience possible. And Apple does not have to do that because they are the only customer. And so that that's why when, you know, when Johnny Suruji and others and say, look, we're the Silicon team is in lockstep with the software team and the hardware team. And we'll say, this is our, this is our goal. This is where we want to be in all three of those. They can all be aligned and uh, no one else can do that. I mean, I, this is the reality. Right? I mean, just the harsh truth right. is, you can't do that, and that's very difficult to compete with. And that's where these comparisons are really challenging is it's not a true comparison. Apple has advantages that others don't. Um, but, right, to the conversation it's we're not having. An Apple, it's, you know, it's, it's, an, it's not an Apple I wasn't going to say <laughs> I was not going to say that. I was avoiding saying that for the very reason <laughs> of, of the analogy. Um, but, but that's where, I mean, again, that's, that's, to be honest with you, that, that's kind of where I think chiplets become interesting because, you know, again, if you're AMD, if you're Intel, um, you know, again, <laughs> NVIDIA or others, you can actually do some really creative things with your with your product skew on a chiplet architecture to, again, not be custom, but start to bite off more, you know, more effective sections of the market. So theoret- theoretically, a low power performance chip is doable in a much more architecturally friendly way and a, and a performance one is just based on kind of how you're using those decisions for blocks or, you know, like we were talking about. So, but that's, again, that's a world for next year where, where chiplets really start to invade our, our designs. So we won't know, but that's at least my theory on kind of how chiplet and advanced packaging allows for better optimizations for segments of a market from someone like an Intel or AMD or a found or their foundries. So I think it's, 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 it's not just a problem for, 
you know, Apple versus Intel, it's also, uh, it's, you know, who, you know, who else has this problem is, is Qualcomm versus Apple, right? If you look at the performance of the A series versus Snapdragon, there's been a gap for years and Qualcomm is not in a big hurry to close it because they have that same lowest common denominator problem too, that we just yeah. talked about for Intel. And so I think that's, it's an interesting challenge and, and they're, you know, they're doing okay despite that. Yeah. Uh, I do think Agreed. it's interesting well, and- last week. I can say last week or two weeks ago, AMD launched their MI100. Yeah. Which is uh, which is a whole bunch of chiplets. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff going there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff going on inside that chip. It's 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 not just one thing. It's it's yeah. I'm not exactly sure how well it's gonna do, but it's it's exactly what you're describing. They're just the first to this right. chiplet chiplet yep. race. And because uh, there's a there's a lot of stuff in that chip in that package. Yeah. No, I, agreed. It and it's interesting too, because People wanted to say that um, Apple's fusing of uh, of the M1 Max and Ultra was a chiplet, but it's not. That was just a package that that let these two these two uh, chips compute together with almost no latency. But but interesting, like I still have this sort of conversation with friends who are you know designers, whether or not Apple is it a if or a when that Apple embraces chiplets for their designs. Cause it, you could see it being something that they need to do. If again, process just slows down and it's going to take years to get past three nanometer. So get the most out of three nanometer, perhaps with advanced chiplet designs. But, but right now they're the only one not talking about it in any, like AMD is Intel is um, others will. So I just find it interesting that specific to advanced packaging and chiplets, Apple's not in that conversation. I, I think that they're going to keep, pushing down the path of SOCs and systems and packages because most of the things that they're doing in Silicon uh, benefit greatly from being at the most advanced node. That's right. right? I would say that everything in their SOC really needs to be at the most advanced node. I think where chiplets start to get more interesting is when you have some components that don't need to be at the most advanced node, where you're trading off for maybe power, you want a slightly higher node for whatever reason. Um, I think that's where it gets more unless we have some huge huge capacity crunch which doesn't seem likely but i think chiplets get more interesting when you're sort of mixing and matching process you know where yeah. things don't really need to be as shrunk yeah right um well I, it's yeah yeah and and i'll i'll tease a future a future episode cuz the, the other thing i like talking about is again all in a fully hypothetical world is h- how much of <laughs> differentiation in these designs comes really comes from the architecture. Cause like I said, I, I agree with you. I don't think X86 is inherently by design power hungry. It's by it's how it's been designed that you can make a fairly efficient uh, X86 processor. If you so chose starting from scratch, etc. cetera um, in, in the same way that I don't think just the, the pure answer to, well, how do we compete with Apple is, is arm because that's equally, it's a great architecture it's not that it can't be performant. It's just that it's always been designed to be more efficient on a power standpoint. So this whole idea of architectural challenges, something that we have slated for a future episode, I think is super interesting. Um, but it really it just comes bound, come back to there's all these decisions that go into how you compete, what your, what your architecture is, what your process is, how you design these with now advanced packaging and options at the table. And, and like I said, wh- where I think this is leading to is, is hopefully 
a very, very competitive silicon dynam dynamic because again, you do have all of these options available. Now, now again, whether you can whether you can get capacity from TSMC or from Samsung or whatnot is is the greater the greater challenge. But I feel like we're in a, we're in perhaps one of the or we're on the cusp of one of the most competitive environments for silicon than we've been in in I don't know the last era epoch ten years twelve years whatever. I like the idea of that upcoming episode. Spoiler, spoiler yeah, alert: Risk Five. Yeah. Risk Five is going to save us all, right? <laughs> we'll have a nice discussion on Risk Five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Architectures is in there, but we'll tease that for next episode. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Send us your questions and feedbacks, and uh, yes, definitely give us a review as well. Now that we're on the uh, all the podcasts, hope, and we'll speak to you next time. Thank you. Nice talking to you. All right, let's.